there, everyone. It's Kevin again, dropping here at the beginning because this is the final installment of our throwback series to the faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography, a review we did in 2018 and 19. Sorry to all of our patrons that you didn't get this on early release this week, but this time I had a little difficulty finding one of the old files in all of the huge mess that I have here where I keep everything. Eventually, I was able to scrape up an old hard drive and find that I had it on there. So it's all taken care of now. We have the final three chapters of that book review for you this week. In addition, I know we're also late with the patron-only bonus episode for this month, but I think you're getting used to that at this point because we tend to be a few days over the end of the month by the time we get it out. This time, we found a fantastic book that uh, is mainly due to my Amazon algorithm being completely screwed up by all the books that I end up having to look at for the show. It's called 48 Liberal Lies About American History. We picked a few of the fun ones out of there. We just recorded it earlier today, so as soon as I have that edited, it'll be out for patrons over at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. That's it for the intro this week. We'll be back next week with the first chapter of Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History. Enjoy. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Final segment this week. We have three chapters left to go in our book review of the fate of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual Only biography. two of which you're getting here. You're getting two today. You're getting two today. And we haven't decided yet whether the last chapter is going to be patrons only or if we're going to do it next week uh, to end off the show and end the book uh, with a bang. We'll see how that goes. But yeah. this chapter this week is number 28. It is titled, You've Got a Friend in Me. Yeah. I mean, is that does that imply that... Uh Mike Pence is Woody. I guess. A, 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 a doll with no feelings and and can be forced to say whatever you want him to say. Is he Woody and Mike Donald Pence Trump is Buzz Lightyear? Being, yeah, I'm just imagining Mike. Well, no, he's he's Andy. Oh, he's God. I, I just imagine Mike Pence being like, yeah, there's a snake in my boot. <laughs> uh, anyways. I, mine's just called, we love Mike Pence, kind of. Uh, and my alternate chapter title is, you've got a token in me. Uh, which I think I think sums it up because this whole chapter is about how great Mike Pence is and how how what a great influence he is on Donald Trump and how he is really everything you ever could have hoped for and he is making Donald Trump love Jesus so much he's just so good he's just so fucking good Mike Pence is oh Mike Pence that's that's what this chapter is yeah essentially 
It's a, but, uh, basically, so we we open this up with uh, again, it, like every chapter opens with, "Hey, here's this random thing that we're never going to reference mm-hmm. again," uh, and that's what we're doing again here. So surprise, which which um, is look, it's not bad if it's done like they did it in this chapter, where it's two sentences, where it's you know and, you know try sort of an analogy or something they're using to draw into the chapter. But sometimes they'll open the chapter with a full two or three paragraphs. About something yeah. that had nothing to like do with what they were talking about. Like a page and a half of something yeah. that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. That's true. So, and so this is this is basically saying what they the better analogy is them saying Mike Pence is is Donald Trump's Saint Peter to his Jesus, but they mm-hmm. don't want to say that. So because they don't want to compare Donald Trump to Jesus <laughs> too many times. <laughs> so what they say is, oh, he's like the thing in that hymn where he's the rock that he built his church on. You know, like how St. Peter is, but without us referencing St. Peter. (laughs) Yes, and they call him, they call Mike Pence, quote, crucial in governing and arguably, (laughs) most importantly, crucial in matters of faith. And I guarantee mm. you that is not how Donald Trump sees nope. Mike Pence. I guarantee nope, definitely it. definitely not. He is we, my token evangelical. 100%. We know he's not crucial in government. We absolutely know that. But we we even more know, after we've talked throughout this book, right, not crucial in matters of faith, because we know Donald no. Trump does not care about religion. He does not care. No, not at all. Um, so, yeah, the first time they really got to know each other was over the 4th of July weekend at Trump's <laughs> National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, which, you know whatever i probably probably uh mike pence's first time north of uh on the northeast coast at all north of dc certainly wait where's indiana indiana's not on the no indiana's midwest indiana's in the midwest yeah midwest but no one cares about indiana a lot of this chapter is quotes directly from mike pence Uh, oh yeah he's like oh yeah the president thinks i'm amazing (laughs) yes yes and i just i wrote in my in the side of my my book here we have an unreliable narrator problem. I did not realize that Mike Pence is Humbert Humbert. <laughs> he absolutely <laughs> is, though. In, in in multiple ways, right? But the, you hey, know. hey, 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 libelous. Hey, all my look. It's a joke for the English lit majors. I didn't specify majors. which way is. That's a joke for the English which, lit majors. <laughs> which way is? You will find that I did not specify. Mm. Um, yeah, so, and then he talks about how, how much Donald Trump wants him to pray, and he says, to know President Trump is to know a family, and I went, yes, a crime family, <laughs> you know, like the mafia. So, yeah, you're right, he point. brings up, or he, they claim in here that Donald Trump is always asking Mike Pence or his wife to pray, and what popped into my hand is, why is Donald Trump never willing to pray? Why is he always yeah. ask somebody else? Well, that's true, but he's also like he—he he also says that he has to suggest it to Trump. He's like, "Would you like me to say a prayer?" And Trump is almost always like, "Yes." Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so but, it's not so, even like Trump's asking him to do it. It's Pence being, "You, we should really say a prayer," and Trump going, "Okay, mm-hmm. fine." Yeah, and so we get remember a long time ago, right? I think look, the first or second time we did this book, uh, Uncle Mark called uh, something. He he brought up something called biografting, right? which is you have a paragraph of someone and then a paragraph of Donald Trump, and you're trying to compare them by never talking about any comparison between the two, but hoping that people won't notice that there's nothing there's nothing similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. They don't even try that here. They are just no. do very bad comparisons. So they start off by saying Trump is the brash New Yorker who lets it all hang out with his rabble-rousing Twitter feed. At least they acknowledge that Trump's followers are rabble. Yeah. Uh, Pence, on the other hand, they say, is more like a human version of chamomile tea. That Easy is a to huge own. And I'm good sorry, for settling the nerves. Some, 
<laughs> to call someone a human version of chamomile tea. Yeah, he and then it puts you to sleep. Of the most boring drink in the world. Like, he is the human version of liquidized hay. <laughs> he's also, I mean, he's, yeah, he's like chamomile tea. If chamomile tea wanted to murder all the gays. I mean, I, I, I can see the comparison there. But they yeah. also and, try. He also, he also says, d- Pence says, other than a whole lot of zeros, he and I have a lot in common. <laughs> but like, how many zeros difference are there really? Because I mean, Pence must be two. a millionaire. Two. Yeah, two I, I, I was like maybe two zeros. Yeah, max, probably max. Yeah, depending on how much Trump is lying about his 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 net worth. Exactly. Maybe even one zero. <laughs> we don't know. We'll have to see. But uh, we get this comparison between their religious lives, right? So they compare them like be the New Yorker and the the chamomile tea. And then they say, well, they were both Democrats for a period of their lives. Okay, very, like, very tenuously. Like, Pence's right. parents were Democrats is right. what that means. That's like calling you a Republican. Exactly, exactly. Well, we know that throughout this book, we've learned that what your parents are determines what you are. Uh, we've relied on that quite a bit in the earlier parts of this book. But they say, quote, from a faith perspective, they also have a bit in common. And what they say they have in common here was Pence became an evangelical in college and now Trump has evangelicals who pray over him sometimes. That's yeah. not having anything in common. No, it's not. It's, Trump is surrounded by people who think he's religious. Exactly. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, um, and, then, and then, yeah, they talk about their family histories. And he's like, oh, well, both their grandparents were immigrants. And like, oh, they both hate immigrants. So that's, yeah. that's the thing. Oh, that they, they got that great thing going together. Also, I just think it's extremely funny that Pence is like, you know, he decided to go to Manhattan Island and build the big buildings, and I felt a call into public service. Like, if the world won on the brink of collapse, it would be extremely funny that Trump had come in and just taken a dump over all these career politicians yeah. by, like, usurping them and becoming president. Because mm-hmm. they've, they, they've been like, oh, well, you know, I felt the calling of public service, and Trump just waltzed in at, like, 74 and was like, I think I'm going to be president now. And they're all like, but wait, I... It's just very, very <laughs> funny to me. Yeah. Uh, we also get that another attempt to compare the two or bring the two together somehow by saying uh, we get and we don't even actually get an exa- who this came from. But they just say that someone who knew Donald's father, Fred, said that he used to say or actually, no, we, we get a we get a third. This is definitely hearsay. OK, I haven't even taken evidence yet, but this is hearsay. Don, this is uh, uh, Mike Pence saying that somebody told him that Donald Trump's dad used to say, to whom much is given, much will be expected. Which I just have to say, that the, the Spider-Man version is much better. But uh, I, I just just so weird to me that they do a third-person quote like that. That's, that's awful. I didn't notice it. I had it highlighted, but I didn't notice it until just now that that is, that is just awful on so many levels. And also, yeah. every yeah, rich but, but white also, kid's parents say that. My parents yeah. used to say that, and I know they didn't believe it. Well, also 1248, the new international version, the beginning of that is the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. So like, okay. <laughs> Maybe so the we ignorant, should quote the whole The ignorant verse. don't get punished too yeah. bad. Not yeah, too bad. Exactly. But in the very next paragraph, they say that right from the beginning of the presidential transition process, this is a quote, Trump gave Pence significant responsibilities. He was responsible for the overall transition. And this is a case of David's terrible journalism where he forgets that Chris Christie was the first person in charge of the presidential transition until Bridgegate and they decided they had to ditch him. Yeah, that's true. So yeah, then we 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 have the prayer before before the meal. He'll nudge me and say, "You want to say a prayer before the meal?" 
Um, <laughs> yeah, all, all that kind of thing. And then, uh, oh, this is my favorite bit, actually. We talk about their, their, them attending a, uh, a service in Bedminster, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, and my favorite bit of this chapter, it's like a little subtle thing that you might not pick up on, but he, he tells Mike Pence that there's this great little church that he likes to go to. Uh, and Mike Pence is like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll look into it. And Trump goes, no, no, we'll definitely go. And then he's like, and then Donald Trump asks his men to go yes. and find out when the service was. Yes. He's like, oh, this is the church that you like to go to, which I'm pretty sure has services at the same time every fucking day. Yeah. Oh, this is the church that you like to go to. Okay. You didn't know when the church service was, though. Okay. Okay. No, that makes perfect sense. But then they and have then, to. And then we get this yeah. weird justification. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're and having talked about how important church is and a conversation with God, then they're like, we know that Trump's rarely attended church. And while we know that going to church regularly is good for the soul and for building community with other believers, we also acknowledge that ultimately God measures a man's heart, not his church attendance records. So it's like, you know, Trump didn't do anything that we said that he should have done. So we're going to say that God is unknowable yeah. and leave it at that. So Yep, yep, exactly. But then we get, uh, and this is this is that was your favorite part, and that was a good part. But my favorite, my favorite, is the one where we get Mike Pence talking about how Donald Trump never stops working and has incredible work ethic. Yeah, loves the guy TV. who who already I think in two years has golfed more than Barack Obama well, did. Also, in, in the four. Oh, but, but just before that, we have the weird list of things that evangelicals can pray about now. Yes. Yes. North Korea, ISIS, Charlottesville, race relations, immigration, the Russia investigations, enemies in the media, enemies within his own party, <laughs> and of course, the Democrats, which is just a wild list. Um, but yeah, then, then we talk about how uh, how Mike Pence thinks that Donald Trump does more work than anybody because he's yeah. clearly caught the Trump bug. Yeah, he says, he says, Mike Pence says, quote, his energy level is actually hard to describe. I agree with that part of the quote. Yeah, it is very hard true. to describe. Yeah. I heard once that President Teddy Roosevelt was described by a contemporary as pure energy, and I've often said that must come around every hundred years at the White House, because the president and I will generally talk early, we'll talk late, and we'll talk through the day. It's amazing. This also is a humble brag from Mike Pence that he also has boundless energy. Like, you know, he's ready to talk whenever I am, and he's got boundless energy and works all the time. So it's a good thing that I'm there for him, really. I think a lot of what this is is trying to pretend that Mike Pence and Donald Trump have the Obama-Biden relationship. I think that they're really jealous of that relationship and and really trying to superimpose that onto Donald Trump and Mike Pence. But then we get this weird paragraph about when you're president, you need to balance two concepts, law and grace. Yeah, really weird. And I, I, think this yeah. Is an, I think this is an attempt to explain away all the terrible things Donald Trump has done. Although I will is, say... yeah, because then, then, then they use this in the NFL thing, and then they're like, well, we're not going to litigate that. Yeah. Know? It's hard well, they to all... balance law and grace. Like, what, what, what are you even talking about? Right, but we also bring up immigration. And I will say, this book was published before we started putting children into cages. So they couldn't have possibly they, known they how wrong they were too, about yeah. that. Yeah, yes, they, they would try and defend that if they had to. <laughs> they probably saw it coming. They probably saw it coming. Uh, um, yeah, no, the cages are coming. Yeah, and then we get into the end of this chapter, the last two yeah, pages. Yeah, the, the, the huge victories for evangelicals, including mm-hmm. his decision to ban transgenders from the military. Yes. Was a shot into the culture wars that few expect. Like, why is that a victory for and, well, evangelicals? I'm gonna, I'm gonna How gonna read does this that paragraph. affect evangelicals at all? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm going to read this read paragraph it. because I think it's very important and it shines a light onto the way they think, right? Which is the reason we do these book reviews. And it is, quote, 
Beyond the Neil Gorsuch Supreme Court victory and all the pro-life policies initiated by President Trump at the beginning of his first term, he has actually delivered on even more for evangelicals. His decision to ban transgenders, not a word, from the military was a shot into the culture wars that few, ex- few expected. The well, Trump it's a just- dehumanizing word. Yeah, it is. Point. It's a very dehumanizing word. The Trump Justice Department is now arguing aggressively in court on behalf of cake bakers who say their free speech rights will be violated if forced to bake a specialized cake for a gay wedding. That's not what happened, David, and you should nope. know better. You call yourself a journalist, you should fucking know better. You know yeah, where to get the court it. documents the same as I fucking do, and you know there was no discussion of what the cake was going to fucking be. As soon as he found out they were a gay couple, he said, no, I'm not making you a fucking cake. Fuck you, David. And then... And the Attorney General's office is also contending that sexual orientation is not protected under civil rights discrimination laws. That's what they're cheering for, for not extending civil rights. Civil rights protections. That's what they love. That's really what they love. And uh, the last interesting thing we get here, which is just, uh, I think, another example of how dumb uh, or how hard they have to try to make anything Donald Trump says seem, I don't know, impressive in some way, is they say, President Trump tells us he's not done. And this is a quote from Donald Trump. I think you're going to see an upward tack right now. It's really right back on track right now. And we have much more to do. And then again, Trump saying nothing with everything. Saying nothing. I I have another great. But 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 what they say about that quote, they say about that quote, that that quote is going to make liberals sleep poorly. Yeah, that that's that's just so weird to me. That's the that's the that's the philosophy. Stop uh, trying to make we, fetch happen. We we close out with, and it helps immensely to have quote all reliable Mike Pence at the helm. <laughs> and I just like I, I my, I've written next to it who. Whose quote is this? Because it's in uh-huh. quotes. Did, I know. Did, did Mike Pence write this? I feel like Mike <laughs> Pence wrote this. My problem with that is they spelled ol o l e instead yeah. of the o- way you should well, properly you have to spe- say it. Like oh, no, Mike you Pence. spell it o l apostrophe. That's the that's the way to do. It. Anyways, yeah. that just ole ole reliable. Ole reliable. <laughs> anyway, that is the end of that chapter. We need to move on to chapter twenty nine which is titled Riyadh, Jerusalem, and Rome. Uh, And I just, I titled this one, The One Where David Leaves His Bubble and Shits His Pants. Uh, Because he gets very afraid. He indicates that he was very afraid on this trip. Sorry, I I did, uh, from Paris to Berlin, in every disco I go in, my heart is pumping for love. (laughs) It's very good. It's very good. And this chapter is all about Donald Trump's first overseas trip as President of the United States. You may recall, this was the trip with the giant glowing orb, orb, now coming very much back into focus uh, in (laughs) light of recent events. Now coming full circle to murdering a journalist and i will say david remembers this trip very very differently very than, differently than very everyone differently. else than everyone else uh because we we get an intro to this where he's talking about he ran into jared and ivanka on a plane oh 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 you mean javanka javanka no. he, he, no, he, acts he calls like, them that yeah right he's trying to be cool and hip he's trying to be cool and hip uh, and so they talk about, in this this whole chapter, the, for starting off with the trip to Riyadh uh, in Saudi Arabia, where he met with uh, the then, I think, did he meet with the old old king, king back Salman, then? King Salman, yeah. King, king Salman, Salman back then, yeah. uh, was still the king back then. So that's, but he probably, I'm presuming he met with the crown prince back then. Presumably, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they say about this trip, he was about to proclaim the name of God in public like no other modern American president before him. 
Mm-hmm. And, a, and he was about to experience a spiritual awakening in the Holy Land. Ah, yes, famously. In front famously. of a controversial wall, perfectly appropriate for Trump. Uh, so you get an idea where we're going, where we're going with that. But to start off with, of course, we get that landing in Riyadh where he pulled up and got the, uh, you know, the official welcome. And this is the part where I say David shit his pants because he says an official Saudi military salute ensued complete with a red, white and blue flyover and cannon fire. And in parentheses, they may want to rethink the cannon fire in any sort of Mideast fanfare. It can frighten a few. It can frighten a few Westerners who witness the festivities, and that's where I know David it, ducked it and covered. Me. It David ducked me. and covered. Yeah, but but immediately after that, we get talk of them driving through the streets of Riyadh towards I'm um, probably the the castle. Where where do they live? Do they live in a castle? I don't know where where the Saudi Arabian. They probably live in a live. cloud. Yeah, something like that. They can afford it. Um, and he says. Driving through the streets of Riyadh, we saw immense signs over bridges proclaiming, Together we prevail, with Trump's mug alongside that of Saudi King Salman. The only I really, thing... like, I, I, I misread that to start with, and I thought it was like an actual mug, like a Make America Great Again <laughs> mug. I and it was, it was like, the there was a price on it, it was like, yeah, 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 exactly. now available for three ninety nine in the gift shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what would be I, more I, Trump I, than I, that? I refuse to believe now, having misread it in the first place, that it's anything other than that. Yeah, and then they say, the only thing more striking may have been, may have been seeing a good old-fashioned American restaurant, wait for it, Wait for it. What do you think the restaurant was? Whatever you're thinking the restaurant is, you're not going to... Buffalo Wild Wings on the way to the hotel from the airport yep. arrival ceremony. Buffalo Wild Wings is your good old-fashioned American restaurant? Yep, not, no. not, not Applebee's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, look. A good old-fashioned American restaurant. Like, there's not, like, an American restaurant, right? We don't like... Like, McDonald's probably would be the example. I can yeah, see you true. using McDonald's. But Buffalo Wild Wings... Please. Yeah, Wild Wings is a dumb one. And then we move on to my next favorite bit. Is one thing we know about Donald Trump is that the man will refuse to say anything he doesn't truly believe, <laughs> which is the funniest piece of writing that I think maybe yes. has ever been done yeah. in, in history. And David David uses that as context or to say on his five-day world religion tour, he would utter or invoke the name of God more than 30 times. So I guess we're supposed to to imply from Donald Trump doesn't say anything he tr- doesn't believe that because he said God 30 times, he believes in God. Yeah, I mean, I think if I, I went guess. to like the Vatican and Jerusalem, I would probably talk about God. Yeah, a few neither times. of us believe in God. But hey, if I was asked to give a speech in the Vatican, I would stand there and bullshit through, through some religious stuff. Yeah. yeah, and how religion has been good for the world. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I don't believe that, but, you know, we could, we, could, we could work something out. We could work something out, yeah, sure. So they give us examples of all these times Donald Trump invoked, or I like that they use the word uttered, too, uh, yeah. God, 30 times. And here's, Which sounds like a swear word. If you yeah, say it uttered, it sounds yeah. like he, he uttered curse words. But here's a few examples of that, and they say, try these statements on for size. No. Quote number one, Terrorists do not worship God; they worship death. That's yeah. that's yeah. The house, that's that's very deep, very deep. The true Scotsman it's fallacy. Extremely, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, every time a terrorist murders an innocent person and falsely invokes the name of God, it should be an insult to every person of faith. The true Scotsman again. It's, yeah, it's the same the, the, the logical thing is, fallacy. The thing is with this. The, the thing is with this. They then go on to say, "Oh yeah, well the Quran's a shitty book anyway." Yeah. 
yes, so, yes, they do. Like, so, yes, they so do. So it's like, oh well, I mean, even if you do to claim it, even if it's the in the claim of religion, which is what it's implied. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, that th- he's saying in the name of when he says in the name of God, he means in the name of Allah mm-hmm. here when he's doing that. Yeah. But but then the the authors go on to be like, and it's a good thing he didn't praise the Quran because Obama did that and that was wrong because the Quran's a terrible book. Yes. So, so you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, oh well, see how he stuck it to the to the terrorists who are manipulating the name of Islam. But then yeah. you're, and then you're like, oh, but Islam's dumb anyway. So yeah. And here's the thing: if I was president of the United States, Kevin twenty forty, uh, then I if I was on an overseas trip in an Islamic country where we have major problems, right, and mo- much of that part of the world hates us, I would probably talk about how great the Quran is a couple times, even though I don't yeah, think it's a very which good Obama book. did. It's called diplomacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can you can pick some positives out there, like you know the way they give to charity is, yes. is objectively a good thing, and the and the way they they build communities around that. You can cherry pick. It's a religious tra- tradition throughout <laughs> all of, tradition. of human history. Um, but so yeah, we get just a few more examples of Donald Trump. You know, meeting with various people throughout the Middle East, and you know, yeah. not talking good about the Quran, saying God a few more times. And then we get this weird, this weird thing. Not uh, maybe not weird, given the context of what this whole book is about. But it says, "quote It must be clearly understood that from a public policy perspective, Trump's relationship with evangelicals hinges on top tier issues like religious liberty, abortion, and yes, a staunch protection and defense of Israel." Now, yeah. Well, I mean, this is after he went to Israel and didn't move the U.S. embassy immediately mm-hmm. to Jerusalem. Um, I, I and. Yeah, the, he says he would leave the embassy where it is for now. Obviously, it's, that's since changed. Um, but yeah, this this just reinforces that weird uh, fetishization of Israel that evangelicals have. Right, right. But I just want to say, you know, the first one of those, religious liberty, I would call that a top-tier issue. It's just weird to me that they include, and maybe it shouldn't be because we know who these people are, they don't understand what real issues are. But they call abortion and defense of Israel, or, or it's not even defense of Israel, it's, you know, Israel being the number one priority is the mm. thing um, as top-tier issues. I just I just wanted to point that out. But then they bring up his trip to uh, Yad Vashem and the Western Wall. And I, yeah, he, he a lot gl- of people <laughs> remember that as being a very disrespectful trip. Yes, <laughs> you, you, you may remember. recall. You may recall the Yad Vashem trip. He went. He went for an <laughs> afternoon and said it's a beautiful building, and then left. Like, Wait, this is the one where he wrote in the guest book, "It's a treat." Or this is the yeah. This is the direct quote. It is a treat, honor to be here with all of my friends. So amazing, we'll never forget. Yeah, <laughs> which is that's like what the rest Bieber of us writing remember in from the, this. Writing in the Anne Frank guest book, I think yes. he would have been a believer. Oh God! Which he did. Uh, that's true. That's something that he did. Uh, <laughs> wait, he did that? Yeah, you know, honestly, yeah, yeah. He did, I yeah, had yeah. no idea. <laughs> I had never heard that. But that is the new greatest thing I've ever heard of. I'm going to get that tattooed on my left butt cheek, uh, so I never am, am too far away from it. But. <laughs> We get so right. We start off with the Yad Vashem stuff. They gloss over that. They never mention what he wrote in the guest book because they don't want to talk about that. Why? Why would they? No, of course not. And then we get to the the meeting with Mahmoud Abbas, who is the leader of the Palestinian Authority, and they describe this as Trump bringing the godly message into the West Bank, implying not so ah, subtly yes. Trump that the West Bank is a godless place, right? Yeah. Uh, Godforsaken, you might say. Yeah, and then they they mentioned some backhanded compliments that he said to Mahmoud Abbas, 
And then the visit to the po- or actually I did I did skip over the visit to the Western Wall. I did uh, I should I should mention that th- we get the Western Wall thing, and they say that this was uh, that spiritual moment. They provide no evidence of it being a deeply spiritual moment, other than Donald no, Trump saying, other than Donald Trump saying it was a deeply spiritual moment. I was deeply moved by my I was deeply moved by my visit today to the Western Wall. Words fail to capture the experience. It will leave an impression on me forever. Of course they do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. The the same thing anyone would say. But then we get to the visit to uh, the Vatican, which I love. I always love this because everyone knows I grew up Catholic, and I love the evangelical on Catholic hatred. Uh, I really, I really love it. I mean, (laughs) the Catholics deserve some hatred. They fucked kids and hit it. But uh, they don't deserve the bullshit that they get from evangelicals because both sides are wrong. Evangelicals are no more right about it than the, the Catholics are. But they they sort of do this stupid backhanded thing with the Pope where they say, uh, talking about Donald Trump and his spats with the Pope, right? Eventually Uh, the controversy dissipated. But getting on the Pope's good side would have plenty of political upsides, considering the last time we checked, this guy wields quite a bit of of power with his Catholic flock, which is sort of a backhanded way of going back to the old uh, bullshit about JFK and how he would be, you know, beholden to the Pope more than the people of the United States. And then yeah. they write, and plus, he has a cool car. <laughs> cool. This is the trip, by the way, where, where Donald Trump did not allow famous hardcore Catholic Sean Spicer yes. to meet the Pope. Yep. At the expense of some people who li- literally do not give a shit about the Pope. Yep. Absolutely. I don't remember. Who was Do you remember who it was that took Sean Spicer's spot? I don't remember. I don't it remember. Was, yeah, it was, was some non-Catholics. I remember that for sure. Um but the last thing we get in this chapter is a book that the Pope gave to Donald Trump they want to talk about. So the Pope gave Trump this book titled Evangelii Gaudium. I'm just going to go with it like that. I have no idea how it's properly pronounced, but in English that means The Joy of the Gospel, which was written by the Pope, which, uh, giving out your own book to guests. Oh, yeah, that's it's just so, lame. so classic. It's a little lame. <laughs> but it's a book all about, you know, how the, the Catholic Church needs to evangelize more. And they say, they throw in this too, it contains plenty of social <laughs> justice talking points, but more crucially, it presents the gospel message in a compelling personal way. Uh, and that Trump told the Pope he would read it. We can be, I would stake any amount of money on Donald Trump Never reading never this book. Never read that book. Yeah. No. Never, never, Absolutely never. not. So we get a boring uh, quote from that book, uh, not worth reading at all. But then we get to the end of this book, the very last paragraph, the last two paragraphs, where they say, God works in mysterious ways, but many times it's pretty obvious this is one of those times. It's not happenstance that Donald Trump became president, which I just want to point out, we talked about this before, that means it was God's plan that Barack Obama was president. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. true. So you being pissed off about it was wrong by your own rules, by your own fucking rules. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so the last paragraph of this chapter, I'm just going to read as I always do. It reads, quote, in a way, in one week's time, Donald Trump's world religion tour, which no, no, it wasn't because it didn't even hit like half of the world religions. It mm-hmm. hit three. He, he went three, three religions. It, uh Morphed into God's Holy Tour. What? How? No. I, I no, 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 no. I don't okay. know. Carry on, carry on. Leave it to God to use Donald Trump want, warts and all. Not wants. Warts. They literally say warts and all. And the bully pulpit of the American presidency to shout his name abundantly in the three of the holiest cities around the globe. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi summed up nicely when he told President Trump that, Also, quote, Riyadh is not a holy city. Mecca no, is the Saudi yeah. Arabian. No, holy David city. doesn't know that. 
David no, doesn't know okay. that. Okay, Riyadh's no. just a place in the desert. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Abdel Fattah al-Sisi told President F- Trump, Famous quote, criminal yeah, dictator yeah. Fattah al-Sisi. Yeah. You have a unique personality that is capable of doing the impossible. That's true, but what's even more impressive is God doing the impossible. No, it's not. God's all-powerful. That is literally <laughs> not more impressive in any way. Like, if God exists, he should be able to do the impossible. I Humans know. shouldn't be able to do the impossible. It is not more impressive God being able to do what he is designed to do. That yep. is not more impressive. Yep. But anyway, and Donald Trump's election to the highest office in the land is Exhibit A. End of chapter 29 of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. And next chapter is chapter 30, the final chapter in this book that we have been suffering through for, I don't know, we've been doing this three months now? Three months, <laughs> yeah, I think, on this book? a long time. A long time. We do three chapters a week. I think, so, yeah, yeah, we can ten, about... Ten weeks or so, yeah, ten weeks. A couple of breaks, so yeah, three or four months now. The last chapter is titled Give Me Liberty. And uh, I don't know, like I said, don't know yet if we're going to do that uh, for patrons only. Uh, maybe we'll do it for patrons first and then release it to everyone you'll, else yeah, later. You'll see if you listen to the patron You'll see. This you'll week. see. So if you want to know what we're going to do, go become a patron uh, over at patreon.com forward slash Kevin and Benedict, where for as little as $1 a month, you get access to our weekly patron-only bonus episodes, except when Benedict's on vacation, uh, yeah. as well as all of our hours and hours of other patron-only bonus <laughs> Which is content. a lot of the time, by the way. Yeah. So don't expect them Jesus. I don't know anybody who takes more vacations than you. Uh, but before we go, we, of course, have to thank our wonderful and amazing patrons, the people who give us money to make the show go. Without them, where would we be? Well, we'd probably be doing the show just without patrons. But... Yeah. They are the amazing Skeptical Seventh, Keith Davies, Taro Takanen, A.J. Brantley, Math Makes Sense, Suzanne Wickman, Stephanie Hanks, John Reynolds, Scott John Harrison at Shaded Sprider on Twitter, Andrew Jenko, Ian Guistino, Lone Locust, Stephen Dimmick, Emily Burke, Brusque Platypus, and Hannah Morando. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. Uh, another another note for patrons. Uh, of course, we auctioned off or we raffled off the last book that we did, uh, my copy, to one of our patrons. We are going to right, do now the we same. Have two copies. We're going to do the same this time. Now we have two copies to give away. And so mine if you want to, uh, time, yeah, so. mine does too. So if They're you want to get lol and what the fuck, to be honest. <laughs> well, but... I will say. I didn't lose my book jacket this time. And I should That's mention uh, uh, Skeptical Seventh, who won last time, will know that I sent it without the book jacket because I did lose it. I also, I want to point out, did you notice this? That if you take the book jacket off the book and look at the logo for the publishing company that does this book, uh, it's broadside. And their logo, fittingly, is the back of a bullet. I don't know if you've noticed that. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a, it it's is. the conservative division of HarperCollins, but I just wanted to point that out. I found it funny. Uh, anyways, that's it. Uh, if you want more of us, make sure to go to Twitter. Hello, patrons, and welcome to your patron-only bonus episode for this week, the week of October 21st. I didn't even have to stumble through it that time because I had it ready to go. I got this fancy new desk calendar sits underneath all my uh, my stuff in front of me. So yeah. that's helpful. But, but, how are I'm you doing, Abe? How are you? I am, look, let me tell you. Let me tell you, when you finish a book this bad, finally, ah, you yep. feel pretty good about it. Sorry, yawning. Yep, that's definitely true. Yeah, no, no yawning. I yeah. get it. I yeah, get yeah. it. No, it's, it's, a bit, it's been a bad book. Ah. It's, it's not been good. 
It's been uh, a very I think I've bad enjoyed book. It less. Very, very bad. I think I've enjoyed mocking it less than I've enjoyed mocking Dinesh's book. Because at least Dinesh... I I'm know. kind of longing for the film review now for Dinesh. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, by the way, everyone, uh, the film comes out on uh, Amazon Prime uh, October 30th. So that is that is five days away. It is the 25th as we record right now. And that means that finally we are going to get to our movie review of Dinesh D'Souza's movie. Was it? Wait, was, I forgot what it's called. Uh, <laughs> I forgot what Death it's of called. A um, Death of a Nation. That's right. I, for, I completely forgot what it was called for a moment. Uh, but we are finally going to get to our movie review of Death of a Nation. And let me say for our patrons, so you guys know, obviously you're going to get it early before everyone else, you know, probably a couple days to a week early. Uh, and we tentatively have Aaron Rabbi and Thomas Smith on board to do the review with us, if we can convince them still uh, so <laughs> a month after I initially asked them uh, to suffer through it with us. Actually, I think it's like two months at this point. I asked them uh, like two months ago, and they both said tentatively <laughs> yes. So we'll see if we can still get them to suffer through it with us. So that's going to be a lot of fun. we got some good stuff coming up, uh, le- not, not all the least of which is picking the next book that we're going to review. How exciting is that? Certainly. We've got some some great options. Benedict suggested the other day, uh, Charlie Kirk has a new book out, which could be a okay. lot of fun. Uh, I think, you know, he would be he would be the first college dropout we've written read a book from, but there's plenty of them yeah. in the Republican Party canon that we could go That's to. True. Right? From, from Bill O'Reilly to Sean Hannity to uh, half the pundits they have on on Fox News. So... There's a never-ending font of material there. Uh, last thing, before we get to the book review, I don't want to gloss over, uh, because right, it's middle of the week, and, and this obviously happened after we recorded the main show this week, but the the pipe bombs that are being sent across the country to various uh, Democrats who have been the target of Trump's ire right now. Yep. And right, we're obviously going to talk about it on the main show this week. Obviously, we can't avoid it. But... I just want to say here, because everyone, the, the topic on everyone's mind is sort of whose fault is this, right? And everyone is saying, uh, you know, the, the people on the right are saying, ah, it's not Donald Trump's fault. It's if they didn't want pipe bombs sent to him, they shouldn't have worn skirts that short uh, is, is basically what we're getting from the right. And I, I just want to say that, look, this this political atmosphere that we have right now, right? It, it, yes, it contributes to it. If we didn't have Donald Trump in the White House, um, you know what? Actually, these pipe bombs probably would have still been sent. They probably still would, and they probably would be because of Donald Trump's fucking tweets. Still, it probably still would have been. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm not sure that's true. I think I think it's definitely a, a major contributing factor, and it, it, it it's funny to me. And we'll talk I, again. We'll talk about this on the main show. But all the people who are normally like, oh well, you know, you got to blame the rhetoric, and if the Muslims are calling for bombings, then obviously there are going to be bombings and Muslims hate the West. So, you know, we've got to ban the Muslims that they're all of a sudden like, Oh, well, it's just the actions of a few. You know, that's ironic to me. Well, look, Donald Trump got on Twitter this morning, his first tweet this morning, which was very early in the morning. I was awake at the time at like 6am, something like that. Which, which he tweeted that this is CNN and the media bringing it on themselves, basically, to summarize what he said. That's where I get my, if they didn't want pipe bombs, they shouldn't have worn skirts that short, okay? Because that is basically what, it is literal victim shaming he is engaging in. 
Literal yeah. victim shaming. And he got on, he had a, a rally last night after these pipe bombs had been found, right? There were two more that were found today, one to Robert De Niro and I think a, a second one to Maxine Waters. I don't remember the order in which they all, all were found. But he went to his rally last night and did the same fucking thing and blamed the media for this. I just look, it's frustrating. I'm going to need some time to to really digest it all so I can speak eloquently about it on the regular show. But, you know, as patrons, you get our uh, our raw, uncut and unfiltered opinions uh, before we have time to think about them very much. So. Look, I just wanted to get that out there because obviously that is the big story of the week, and it's something that that we just can't ignore. Uh, I wanted to say a little bit about it before we we moved on. But with that said, let's have some fun. Let's finish this turd nugget of a book and finally get to chapter 30 of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography, which is titled Give Me Liberty. And My old title is... Give me down. No, you bastard! You bastard! <laughs> I knew it was going to be the same. <laughs> <laughs> because it was too easy. It was too yeah, easy. Yeah, it was too easy. Yeah, so we both had the it same alternate chapter yeah. title. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Please, uh, And this chapter starts off with, uh, I think, the, uh, just, just one of the best, the epitome of where we are. This starts off with the sentence, I think evangelicals have found their dream president. Jerry Falwell told Janine Pirro, host of the Fox News program, bearing her name. Yeah. That, 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 that summarizes writing, this whole yeah. book. I really think that does. Yeah. It's hearsay. The, the whole book is hearsay, it is. essentially. It, well, and, and, and quotes of quotes of quotes of other people. The fact that, and, and this is the thing, Jerry Falwell, the minister, was on Janine Pirro's show to share his thoughts about the first hundred days. As though yeah. Jerry Falwell is any sort of person you would care about what he thinks of that, right? But we know they, being the right, they do care what he thinks. That for some some yeah. reason I will never comprehend, they care what Jerry Falwell thinks about politics. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it, it is interesting. The, the thing is, this chapter is, it, 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 it really should be two chapters, because the first half of it is like a weird hundred days wrap-up. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of it is a book wrapper, but I don't understand why it's not two chapters. I guess because it wouldn't be long enough to split. Because they're bad chapters. writers. But it's just, well, yeah. That, I mean, that's true. But yeah, I mean, we we get the summation of like what we've learned in the book so far. Like, so uh, evangelical evangel evangelicalism, mm-hmm. I guess, was founded as a, a to to as a response to what they deemed to be the isolationist and acerbic tendencies. Yes, I love that sentence. Ah, yes, the famously, the famously non-isolationist Donald Trump supporters. Um, also, it says, saw the need to respond to liberalism and fundamentalism. Ah, yes, well, yeah, liberalism, well, here, the famously bad ideology. That here's the thing about has. that. They are, they are partially correct about the, the evangelical fundamentalist difference there in that the original fundamentalists, which aren't really around anymore, was just a... a sort of um, uh, uh, independent denomination of Christianity based around a, a literal book set called The Fundamentals. There was a set, a set of books called The Fundamentals. I think we talked about this before. That was sent out. Yeah, they, they covered it yeah. earlier in the... Yeah, and so that's where we get the term fundamentalist, and they proudly bore that term when they created their fundamentalist ideology, which was, you know, Bible is literal truth and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which is stuff that the evangelicals still believe. 
But most of those fundamentalists back then, if you recall, politics were different back in the 1930s. So yeah, there was a difference back then. One thing these people never seem to understand is that times change and politics change with them. Yeah, that's true. Definitely true. So, so the story, the, the crux story of this chapter is uh, Trump's speech at yes, Liberty University. Yes, in 2017. Remember, we, we talked goes, about one of these before, but this yeah, is... Yeah, so a year yeah, after. This is the graduation yeah, address after. he gave at Liberty University in spring 2017. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, he opens by saying, remember that nothing worth doing is ever, 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 ever easy. Unless your last name is Trump yeah. and you inherited it. And I just want to say, look, I, they, I wrote um, next to, uh, in, in the margins of my book, next to the, uh, the opening, or where they tell us about this event, uh, that uh, the Wiggles opened for him and David Duke closed. Uh, I, think, I think that'd be a perfect, <laughs> that'd be perfect for that event, really. Uh, yeah, a, a good summation. Um, yeah, and uh, apparently the crowd interrupted Trump dozens of times for applause. And here we go. Especially when he mentioned themes relating yeah. to God. Shocking. <laughs> Shocker. The crowd at Univ- Liberty... He knew what the crowd at Liberty University would applaud for, mm. and it was God. Wow. Ah, wow. Not surprising a from a school that's not yeah, even exactly. ranked. Oh, God. The dumbest yeah. students in America. And this, of course, is the famous... This is the famous speech where he said... Or the infamous speech, rather. Where he said, in America, we don't worship government. We well, he said that God. a ton of times. And he has dem- said that a ton of times. No, no, but this is this is when he's famously said it. Okay, is this, this is the when first he got time? Kicked back for saying it. I think this okay. was the first time he said it. Yeah, because he, he said they invoked our Creator four times. Not the Christian Creator, of course. They just they, they invoked a God. They didn't invoke necessarily the Christian Creator. Um, but yeah, they also mentioned government a hell of a lot more than they mentioned yes. God. So. You can't really be like in our nation. In our nation, we worship God, not government. Look, they mentioned God four times and government for the whole of the rest of the document. <laughs> well, here's the thing, and and this is something that I noticed, uh, particularly with on last show, right? The Stanford College Republicans thing we talked about, the California uh, College Republicans platform manifesto yeah, yeah, yeah. that we talked about, which is that uh, this this whole idea of political religion. And I recently bought uh, Kevin Cruz's book. Uh, I think it's. Uh, one Nation Under God, which I'm reading right now, which is very good. I recommend it. Uh, and it's all about how uh, during the New Deal era, corporate America co-opted Christianity and created sort of the political religion that we have today. So it's very fascinating. But yeah, I, I think it's telling that, that especially like uh, these people care more about politics than than they do religion. That's that for me has been the the uh, close but no potato of this entire book. Right. That this. Well, in- they, I mean, they, they get to that at the end. They quote mm-hmm. some people being like, "Oh, I don't know if this is changing us and making us less religious and more political." And then it's like, "Yeah, that. Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. You've done it. You figured it out. Well done." Yeah. Uh, but I do. Before we get really into this, I do want to say about Liberty University, just to give you an idea of what I think of Liberty University, uh, how little regard I hold it in. I would rather go to Stanford. That's how oh, wow. little regard I hold Lib- wow. Liberty University in. Right. Kevin uh, does not say that lightly. No, folks. no. As a proud California golden bear, I do not say that lightly. Um, but there's a quote in here from Jerry Falwell, and this has to be Jerry Falwell Jr. because Jerry Falwell Sr. was dead at this point. Uh, and they're, I believe they're, they have an interview with Jerry Falwell that they're, they're talking about here. Uh, they, he said, quote, it meant a lot to us that the president came here first. They're saying because traditionally the president would go give the, his first commencement speech at Notre Dame. I didn't know that. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, since since Eisenhower, I believe. 
Uh, because we've always aspired to be for evangelical young people what Notre Dame is for Catholics. And let me just say, if that is your goal, you have dramatically failed. Uh, because for Catholics, Notre Dame is a good school. Notre I don't Dame know if, is a good school. I don't know if you know this. Yeah, Notre Dame is a good school. They have real classes. They don't teach that there was a bunch of... They don't teach that there was a boat that had two of every kind of animal on it there. Uh, no. Yeah, actual good school. And we get into, uh, this is interspersing quotes from Donald Trump's tweets with quotes from people who know Donald Trump is, is a lot of this chapter. And this first quote we get from Donald Trump, or maybe it's the second or third we get, uh, there was something in here that stuck out to me, and I want to see if this stuck out to you. And I'll just read the whole quote. This is from Trump. Quote, America is better when people put their faith into action. As long as I am your president, no one is ever going to stop you from practicing your faith or from preaching what's in your heart. We will always stand up for the right of all Americans to pray to God and to follow his teachings. Now, does anything stick out to, in that to you? Anything in particular? I mean, now, all of it. All of it, all of it, really? right. But what sticks out to me is that the emphasis, and I, I wouldn't say that this is something that only comes from that tidbit of that speech. This is something that we get from Donald Trump all the time, and it's particularly salient to you and me as non-believers. The right they want to stand up for are not the sort of rights that past presidents have focused on, right? Barack Obama, uh, you know, would would say things that are more inclusive of various different groups. He would say things like, "We want to stand up for the right of all people to believe that what yeah, they want to believe." True. Right? This is the right of all Americans to pray to God, showing just uh, just just yeah, highlighting I mean, how it, little it, they care about us that, as non-believers. And also the fact that he's very clearly talking to them in a non-inclusive way. So he's being like, you can pray whenever you want. I'm not going to do it, <laughs> but you guys can do what you want. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Uh, but we get we get a bunch of, so we, we get interspersed in here, like I said, quotes from Falwell. And a lot of it is Falwell uh, in this chapter, interspersed yeah, between the Trump they've run out of right, people to talk Right, to. they really have. I, I don't know if this, at this point, everyone was getting annoyed with David's phone calls and emails, maybe. So he had to go to the last oh, people yeah. who were left to talk to him. But we get this saying, mm -hmm. quote, they said from that, from the speech, they can tell God's really working in Mr. Trump's life. That was an observation they made from afar, Falwell said, adding, I believe the same thing. Those other people are Southern Baptist pastors and other pastors uh, from around the country. Now, this is a, a theme that we've hit on throughout the book, which is all these people seeing what they want to see in Donald Trump. From David himself, yeah. who is writing the yeah, book yeah. and wants to believe Donald Trump loves Jesus, to all the people he interviews, all the, the Christians he interviews who want desperately to believe that Donald Trump is a Christian and all that, they see what they want to see in him, while you and I see entirely different things. Yeah, definitely. And they they and and whenever the mask slips, they say, Oh well, it doesn't matter because he's just yeah. God's messenger. So, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean that's that's exemplified as much as anything by this faith advisory board thing yes. that they get onto. Um, so they, they talk about all these people that are just this wild faith advisory board. So, the, you know, they had the advisory council and then that went away after Charlottesville because everybody resigned. And then uh, this bit. Well, no, 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 it, it didn't. You're, you're thinking of something different. You're thinking of something different. Uh, no, 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 no. The advisory council, everybody resigned. The, the economic the advisory faith committee. Advisory, yeah, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. The faith advisory council or, or okay, yeah, board, so, whatever. Yeah. 
That's what I'm saying. David here is trying to justify all of these people not resigning on yes, Charlottesville. Yes. So let me just clarify In for the listeners. In contrast to the economic advisory council yes. that did all Let me clarify that. for the listeners, right? After Charlottesville, the economic advisory council, it. which included, I think at the time, what, like Elon Musk and people like that? Elon Musk, yeah. yeah, yeah. Those, those if you recall, they all resigned after Charlottesville and Donald Trump's both sides comments. Whereas the faith advisory board did not. Right, and so we get a bunch of people from here, and and they talk about what the Faith Advisory Council does, and scary to me, really. They say that this council meets in the White House for day-long discussions that result in recommendations to the president about policy and messaging. Now, it's scary to me that a group like that would be giving policy recommendations, but I think it's hilarious that David would include the fact that they give messaging recommendations to this president. Yeah, that's... That's a wild. I one. think you'd want uh, to avoid that. Don't give Trump any messaging recommendations. Anymore. No, that way you <laughs> that way down. people can't point out how badly you've failed. Uh, but yeah. talk, uh, going back to the the uh, at Charlottesville incident and the Faith Advisory Board not resigning. So they they mention that uh, this Faith Advisory Board did not resign, and they they call the criticisms contrived and much ado about nothing. Without, without really explaining why, right. and then quote Eric Metaxas mm-hmm. saying, and I quote here, I think there's some kind of demonic deception. <laughs> As in, he's been treated so badly because of some kind of demonic mm-hmm. deception, and that's why people don't like him. Eric Metaxas, by the way, wrote the full words of this book. Yeah. And, so, and he says, he says also, in addition to what you just said, in that same quote, Eric Metaxas said, we're going to stand up for Trump a hundred times more. I think it's been unbelievably despicable the way he's been treated. The way Donald Trump yeah, had been treated. some kind of demonic deception. Right. The next, yeah, the next line is some kind of demonic deception. Yeah, and then they have that weird bit where, where they, they, you remember the picture where, he was like sat and they all had their hands on mm-hmm. him yep. in prayer yeah. and very weird. Very weird. Very, very but he weird. Does, and then we get David some... does try. David tr- does try to throw one in here where he says, uh, the board members who we should point out pay their own way to and from Washington. Oh, yeah, good. Which good, good, I would good, like good, to point out, good. no, they don't, David. All of the money they get that they steal from old ladies in tax-exempt dollars pays their way to and from Washington. That's... That's very true. But so, yeah, we get now, uh, you're talking about that incident where the weird picture with all the the pastors praying on Donald Trump. And the reason we get that is to say Donald Trump didn't make it weird, so he must be a Christian. Yeah. He didn't, like, flinch when they did that, so he must be a Christian. Which, to be fair, I would have done. (laughs) Yeah, to be honest. What are you doing? Get off. why are you touching my face? Please don't touch my face. Right. I would have been like, no, no, you all, I don't know when the last time you washed your hands was. I don't want you all touching me. Yeah. And half Trump of you is, fuck Trump kids, the other fa- half are fucking hookers. I don't want you touching me. You have gross germs. Trump is a germaphobe too. Oh, that is, that's another good point. That is weird. Why would he let them all tie? No, that is a pro. That is something yeah, we didn't think about. Weird. You know, he had people run in and scrub him down with wet wipes after that happened. Just literally with a Clorox. <laughs> yeah, just like the Clorox. Yeah, exactly. But the next thing, um, the next part we get into with this uh, is this National Day of Prayer. The incidents of the National Day of Prayer. Oh yeah, with the dinner. Mm-hmm. 
before. Also, where they give him a bit of the King James Bible. Yes. A framed page for... Which, again... Okay, Paula White made the presentation of the gift, calling it, quote, a Bible which, as you know, was commissioned by a political leader. Yes! How weird is that as a comment? Yeah, very, very weird. Um, also referring to the fact that the the uh, in England, where people fled from the way that the church was set up, uh, the king is also the, the head of the church. What she neglects to mention is King James was a raging mm-hmm. gay man who who commissioned the Bible to get the church off his back so that he could spend more time sleeping right. with And he mother. also had portions so, added to the Bible to fit the beliefs of the church that he was in charge of that weren't originally in yeah, the Bible. Exactly. So that's another great part. But funny to yeah. me was that Bible, that gift of the Bible, it, what it was, it was a, a, a framed page from a 1611 King James Version of the Bible. It was from the Museum of the Bible who we just found out the other yep. day has a bunch of fake Dead Sea Scrolls. So, uh, was oh, yeah, it really a 1611 yeah. version? Or did it, was it somebody's Xerox? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know, but it's great. Exactly. Probably, probably somebody's <laughs> Xerox. Let's be honest. But so on that National Day of Prayer, uh, that is the same day that Donald Trump signed the president, Presidential Executive Order Promoting Free Speech and Religious Liberty, which you may remember as being the executive order that basically castrated the Johnson Amendment. That was the whole purpose of it, which we've been talking about throughout this book as a major thing that Donald Trump wanted to do. For fuck, fuck if I know any reason why. I, I There's legitimately no good fucking reason other than evangelicals complain about it, and they are his primary base, right? We know that's the entire reason Donald Trump does anything with these people, is they're the ones who vote for him. I, I, I'm going to come back to that later. Right, and they describe it. Uh, this guy, Jim Farlow, who is a leader of the Pulpit Freedom Sunday movement, if you don't know what that is, uh, the, the Johnson Amendment, its purposes, as a, a pastor or a preacher or a priest, whatever, you're not supposed to be able to endorse a political candidate. If you do, you lose your tax-exempt yeah. status. That's, that's it. That's the entirety of what happens if you engage in political activity from the pulpit. Um, what they do as part of the Freedom Sunday movement, is one Sunday every year, get up there and make explicitly political speeches, all endorsing Republicans, no surprise, and then record them and send them to the IRS. They've been doing this. They've been doing this for about a decade, and nothing has ever happened to them because of it. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this at the time when this passed, I remember, and you told me this, and I was like, I was Yeah, no, nothing right ever happens, but they're still complaining. They're still no. complaining. Yeah, so that, I mean, it, it their, their freedom of speech and free exercise of religious freedom was yeah. never, never threatened. But the way, the way uh, David describes way. the Pulpit Freedom Sunday um, thing is to encourage pastors to ignore the threat of the IRS meddling with the content of a pastor's sermons. The, the I, well, I would like to point out the, my, the same contention the I had a minute ago. Nothing has ever been done to these people for getting political from the pulpit. Ever. There has been no interference yeah, with anything yeah, they've ever true. said. That's, that, that's completely so it's a, po- it's a pointless that's argument. It's, it's absolutely pointless to be angry about the Johnson Amendment, for one thing. Now, would I like yeah, the Johnson Amendment true. to actually be enforced? Um, absolutely. fucking Absolutely, I would. But, I mean, the Johnson Amendment has been a big part of this book and a big part of the support that he got was because of the Johnson Amendment. But anyway, this this all brings us on to this kind of moment of clarity where you think 
you know, the book might have a very different yeah. ending than no. we thought it was going to. It doesn't, but it could have done. So, so they get on to one of the oft-repeated questions related to Donald Trump's relationship to evangelicals is, who is using whom? That's a very mm-hmm. clear oh, that's, They're question. asking the right question, then. They just and, and, get the wrong answer. Yeah, they, 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 get, yeah they, they answer it incorrectly, but it's, it, that, that's a very, you know, they mm-hmm. know exactly what's up here. Um, it's a cynical question, but you know that they, they they very much that is that is the case, and it's this weird thing where they they then worship him. So he he came disguised as a New York businessman in a golden tower. We found who we were looking for for a long time, um, and but there, there there is some worry there. So some of the people they interview say things like, "There is a danger we just become a political operation yes. in the guise of a church," and it's like too late. That, that's what already happened. Like, if you haven't seen that that's what happened, you Why else do there. you think you have a group that you idolize, that you, in this book, wrote very kindly about, David, called the Pulpit Freedom Sunday Movement, whose purpose is to get political from the pulpit? Why else do you think you have that? I, I, but they... Yeah. They, in exactly. these next it's few pages, they try and justify the political positions that they've taken and why they are so politically active and why this political religion is formed. They try and justify that in the next few pages and they get, they give three reasons. They, well, well David I mean, gives three yeah. reasons for it. Yeah, I mean... It, so the first he, reason, yeah, he says, I'm just, I'm just going to read this as a quote. First, as long as the Democratic Party is unreservedly pro-choice, then there's nothing to be ashamed of when Bible-reading, Jesus-loving Christians vote for the Republican candidate in every election. Such voting is not a matter of being co-opted yeah. by the GOP. Rather, it comes from a reflexive, com- reflexive commitment to a biblical worldview. Now, I agree. I, pr- I completely agree that if you have a major position that you believe in to your core and one of those parties represents that position, then sure, you should vote for the person who represents what you want in the world. But... The problem for me, and I think where the hypocrisy comes in, and sort of the the bullshit of all this comes in, is that there's no reason why Christianity has to be tied to then the other conservative positions of the Republican Party, laissez-faire capitalism, etc., right? And in fact, you know, many people argue that Jesus Jesus was a socialist, this, that, and the other, and if they really love Jesus, they should support all these welfare programs, and you get these bullshit arguments from right-leaning Christians and things like that, and say, well... It's a personal obligation to do charity. I shouldn't do it through the government, which yeah. is just a bull, bullshit fucking argument. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we get a quote here from Russell Moore, uh, who I guess is, uh, I, I don't know who that is. I think he's a, a Southern Baptist uh, or something like that, uh, writing about the same sort of issue of why uh, Christians are r- religiously and politically to the right, saying, quote, When confronted with American sexual libertarianism, I like that phrase, actually, and public square secularization, Southern Baptists committed to biblical orthodoxy have spoken reflexively from intuitions rooted in biblically informed worldview. And I I think the key word there is intuitions, right? I mean, it's they're guessing. I I wanted to say it was reflexively. Facts facts don't care about their feelings. I wanted to say the the intuitive one was reflexively. Because it is a knee-jerk, right? Because every, you're right, intuition, reflexive, they are both very related in that sentence. But I think the reflexively part, to me, sticks out more because this is not something that is well thought out. This is definitely a reflex move. Yeah. 
So yeah, second, the second. Uh, yeah, and so so the second why, thing. Why don't you give the second? Yeah, one? the second thing is. Well, yeah, sure. The second thing is it was slipping slipping further into a post-Christian world, uh, uh, secularist yeah. culture. A post-Christian secularist culture like Europe. <laughs> yeah, like the failed states of Europe. Yeah. You know the 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 culture that all Americans look up to as the fancy one. That's the one that nobody wants. Very weird. Um, and then the third one is about the religious right, which is, again, worth worth talking about. Um, it, and, and he says they're not really going anywhere anytime soon. I, I have to actually agree with him on that. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that there are, the, the religious right is going to be a force in our politics for a long time to come. And I think that's that's probably my biggest takeaway from this book, I think that and the the power that the pro-life movement has an electoral as an electoral force mm-hmm. um has and holds over people i think is is something that is almost unshakable so i think you you are i think you are always going to have at least 40 percent of the country voting against democrats yeah. because of the pro-life issue. well and i would say that their pro-life stances yeah. and i would say going back to uh the california college republicans platform again right one of the things i pointed out there was that and i didn't actually point out this so explicitly but that platform right remember that is california college republicans that wasn't a california college christian group that was the California College Republicans. That oh, was yeah. a political group. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a symbol. Yeah, but yet that platform was explicitly a Christian platform. And they made that very explicit, right? And it, yeah. it, it, a lot of it was based off of evangelical Christian dogma. And I, I have to wonder, uh, especially since there are people from other religious groups who get into, uh, uh, you know, right-wing politics, right? There are right-wing atheists out there who get involved in right-wing politics. There are Hindus and other groups that get involved in right-wing politics. And yet they are are becoming even more centric around the sort of Christian-ness of their conservatism, right? That is becoming a central uh, part of it, where in the past, I don't don't remember it ever really being that way. no, I, I I think that's and I, I think they kind of wrap up with with that and there it's the the confluence of culture and politics now um, and Christian culture beyond that. So they they say that they white evangelical Christians. Yes. Oh, this sentence this, stuck out to me so much. While while still dominant politically, see their culture slipping. Yes. Away. And Donald Trump is fighting for that culture. Did you also yes. wonder if David realized um, so he wrote the much... word white in that sentence? Or if that was just sort of I... unintentional? Yeah, I, you know, saying the quiet part out loud in black and white, I guess. Along came Donald Trump, warts and all, to fight the culture war. And I think that's it. I think it's as much about the culture war as anything for these people. And I, I, I the book has made me question, and I think I have the answer whether these people really care about their religion and, and the answer is, is no. Um, they, they care about the appearance of their religion and the effect that their religion has on the life that they lead and the culture that they, they immerse themselves in. But the actual religion part of it seems optional. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna say something um, sort of along those lines, which is that uh, they're not so much... I don't think that they, they don't believe their religion. I think they're losing track of what their religion is and what it's about. 
or maybe, maybe, maybe. what their religion is and what it's about is actually changing uh, and becoming yeah. more of a political force than a, a philosophical or, or uh, 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 religious one in, in in most senses. I think uh, possibly. Yeah, I just my 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 closing on this is to do with Trump's faith because that's the title of the book. Um, and it's the faith of Donald J. Trump. And I think it's, it's not Trump's, they, they keep saying that Trump is prays and believes in God and stuff, but it's not Trump's desire to worship, but it's his desire yeah. to be worshiped that defines his re- relationship yeah. with the evangelicals. He gives them, he gives them what they want and he knows what they want to hear. And in return, they worship him because that's in their character, I think. And that is that is the defining feature of Trump's relationship with evangelicals, because he loves nothing more than people who adore him. And evangelicals love nothing more yeah. than to adore a figurehead. So and so as we always do, <laughs> as we you, always do, gentlemen. I will read the very last paragraph of the chapter. And in fact, the very last paragraph of the entire book, which is as follows, quote, While Donald Trump may have been the unlikeliest vessel, God works in mysterious ways. The same can be said said about Trump's faith journey, from his Protestant confirmation in Jamaica, Queens, through the wild ride of the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and concluding with the laying on of hands in the Oval Office. We see that God can take any lump of clay and fashion it for his own purposes and glory. That's something that Donald Trump and evangelicals can both be eternally grateful for. Soli Deo Gloria, to God be all the glory. And that, ladies and gents and non-binaries, is the final chapter of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. Wow, I'm so glad to be done with this book. Yeah, me too. Let me just say, there was a lot, I think, and I'm just, now that we're done, let's get some general stuff out there, right? Some general impressions, things we've learned throughout this entire book and our our feelings about it now. Yeah. I I thought the first half, actually, you know, as much as, like, uh, the first couple chapters were kind of bad, I kind of thought the first half was more fun. It it definitely was, and it was was much less uh, excuse-giving. It was was less apologia, which is always good. In terms, in my opinion, I, I I think you know as I said the main the main takeaway for me is the political power of of the uh, pro choice pro life debate over these people and the fact that they will vote for anyone who even pays lip service to not being pro choice. Mm-hmm. Now that, that that's my main takeaway from this book. Yeah, I think my main takeaway uh, is is probably along the same lines. Is that. Um, Christians in the United States have this incredibly powerful political religion inside them, even if they don't realize that it's there. And I think we can we can honestly say David and and uh, Scott may not even realize how much right wing politics shapes their religion and shapes the way they think about Christianity. But it definitely is incredibly powerful there uh, in ways yeah. that are that are very hard to to comprehend. Now, I want to ask you a question. And this may be difficult, okay. but imagine that you are a Donald Trump-loving Christian in the United States, and you read this book, uh, and let's say you, you, you try and read it in a critical way like we have, right? We've been very critical of this book, obviously. Would you come away from this book believing that Donald Trump is a Christian? If, you, if you're able to imagine yourself 
in that mindset and wanting him to be one. Yeah, I think I probably would. Yeah. Probably. See, I, I, I think I agree with you, and it's it's hard to step out of our and 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 not and and that's because they don't make the play for him being a perfect Christian, mm-hmm. but they they make the the Lord moves in right. mysterious ways play. Right, and I think that's, that's I think that is uh, that is the overwhelming argument of this story, right? Because we don't get you're right. Nowhere in this book do we get Donald Trump's a perfect Christian. In fact, we get whole chapters about actually unintentionally almost. What a terrible Christian he is, right? And they're using those chapters to try and excuse all those actions, right? The affairs and all that kind of stuff. And they they gloss over a lot of the facts, right? Because they have to. Yeah. Uh, but th- they sort of lay out the case for the other side in some ways. Yeah, pretty well. Uh, of saying Donald pretty Trump well. is not a Christian. So yeah. anyways, last, right. last question I want to ask about this okay. book. Last question. All right, let's go. If you could write one chapter and insert it anywhere in this book, what would you write? What would the topic of that chapter be? Um, the Stormy Daniels. The Stormy Daniels. <laughs> See, I I think uh, because they obviously published this book before uh, the uh, the putting of children in cages. That's what I would want to put in here, because you know, obviously, I think yeah. that's some of the strongest evidence against uh donald trump well maybe it's actually eh, maybe it actually leads toward donald trump being a christian they're all about putting people in cages i think yeah maybe they'd be for that i don't know anyways that is it for our review of the faith of donald j trump a spiritual biography uh i am i am excited we're gonna have a few weeks now right where we don't do book reviews uh while we're figuring out what the next book is going to be and while we sort of we detox a little bit right uh, I think, yeah, definitely need to detail. I think this has been a great book to get a lot of insight into the way the other side thinks. And that I've, I've mentioned before, that is something that we are trying to do with these book reviews is to see how the other side thinks. Because I, I think that's honestly important, especially, you know, people say a lot about the political climate. Uh, but honestly, yeah, we have to be the ones who step out of our bubbles and try to understand them because they're certainly not going to step out yeah. of theirs. Right, and so I think we've gotten a lot of this book uh, that has has helped us understand how they think and why they think uh, the way they do, and and yeah, I think uh, we picked up a lot of the abortion stuff. We know we we knew was was very important to them, but I think this book nailed that point home about abortion probably being the number one important issue to them, uh, and and everything else sort of being around that, right? Tax cuts and all that stuff sort of being dri- built up culturally through the dominance of the Republican Party in uh, right-wing Christian politics for so long. Uh, They've globbed on to all that sort of other right-wing stuff over time. So we are going to look now uh, for the next book we're going to review in the series. This book club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.